I'm Kasada Bowman. Today, my guest is Chef Jamie Lee. He joins us from Copenhagen. I'll start with a brief introduction. Originally from Britain, Jamie trained on the Michelin circuit in London, cooking under Jason Atherton for the Gordon Ramsay Group. That position led him to Australia. And while in Melbourne, he started to read Noma's first cookbook. The focus was on minimalism, local ingredients, foraging, and those philosophies of the new Nordic food movement were pulling him in. So he followed his intuition and moved to Scandinavia. Currently, he's head chef of Fiskebar in Copenhagen. Today, we'll be discussing work-life balance, Copenhagen, diving deeper into that feeling that brought Jamie there. And the moment he knew the city connected with him on a deeper level. Also, the future of oceans. We'll discuss an op-ed piece about the fishing industry that Jamie wrote earlier this year. In staging, aka unpaid kitchen interns, will they continue to have a place in fine dining? So I'll start by asking, as we always do, Jamie, have you eaten yet? Now, this could be a meal from today. Or it could be the last meal that you have a really great memory about. It could be one from 10 years ago or any time, one that truly resonated with you. Well, good afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so, of course, I've got some very fond food memories uh, today. I have just foraged um, and picked all my tomatoes from my greenhouse so i've just had them on a beautiful thick slice of toast bit of olive oil salt that was lunch but the 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 food memory that i hold dearly you know it was just um, before the lockdown i was lucky enough to go to the faroe islands um have you ever been no 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 that's one place that you need to maybe put on your list um it's it's incredible incredible nature um one of the memories that I will never let go of was the fact that, you know, we, we got there, we flew in, and then we took the car on a 15-minute drive, and then we we pulled up on the side of the ocean. We walked down the dock, and we met this fisherman, um, and then he just pulled out these sort of incredible sea urchins and cracked them open right in front of us, and then we were just eating them as they were. And, the, you know, the, it was in mind-blowing flavor. It was wow. so, it, yeah, it was incredible. It was so pure and sweet and salty. And it's, yeah, I will never, I'll never forget that. Well, I mean, first of all, so you're still harvesting tomatoes. And at the time of this recording, it's October. Yep, exactly. We are just going into November. Of course, it's the last yield. Yeah, it's, it's all a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. But the simplicity in that meal you can't beat it. You can have these incredible meals all over the world and at the best restaurants, but the simplicity in tomatoes on toast with just a little bit of sea salt and olive oil. And I'm very much about that. Yeah. Yeah. It works. <laughs> now, for me, describe where the Faroe Islands are so I can picture it on a map. So it's just north of Denmark, basically. Okay. Okay. It's about a three and a half hour flight from, from, from Copenhagen. Yeah. Wow. Is there a certain season for sea urchins there? No, and the reason why is because the the water temperature stays at a, a constant temperature. So the 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 seafood is sort of all all year round, really, because you know the the sea is full of nutrients and it and it doesn't fluctuate in temperature. 
Well, that's a great memory. <laughs> great memory. One I'm really <laughs> fond of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to start off talking about the Danish way of life. Copenhagen has been considered one of the happiest cities in the world for years. There seems to be a good work-life balance, and family time is taken seriously. Historically, in other parts of the world, the work-life balance equation in our industry is non-existent. Now, because of the pandemic, there's a reckoning happening globally where work-life balance is being identified as a key ingredient to success, even in our industry. But it seems like you all have been focused on work hours and equality in the kitchen for a while. I read an article where you were quoted as saying, the welfare of the chefs is at the heart of the Fiskabar philosophy, which is a massive issue for the restaurant world in Copenhagen. We aim to provide a fair work week and do whatever we can to install good team morale. Jamie, please tell me more about the Danish way of life and also how this influences how restaurants are run in Copenhagen. Absolutely. Well, I can't really speak you know, for all the restaurants in Copenhagen, but I can definitely tell you what we do at Fiskabar. Firstly, you know, it's it's been very important to all of us in the management that Fiskabarn, that we create a work environment where we can, you know, we can all still raise a family, that we can balance family life and work life. And we do that in ways of where we, we keep work hours at a reasonable level and being flexible with rotors and supporting each other. And we continue to make it a great experience for everyone, all levels of staff. And also what we do, we to, to keep the team connected and the, the staff together, we sort of, it, it's a constant mission to inspire people. Um, we do this in ways of, we take them on inspirational trips sort of every year. And this can be for digging truffles in Italy, to fishing in the Faroe Islands, or tasting the sort of the beautiful natural wines in Slovenia. Um, wow. Yeah, um, because it, and it, and it, because it is a very high, like, energy place, Fiskaban. So it's, it's very important to sort of not to take, 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 take all the time. We sort of, we give them, give the staff stuff back as well. And we, and we, we, we constantly um, sort of monitor the chef's workload and provide them with the correct training, sort of. And we, and we take fully responsibility um, about teaching the, all, all the staff. I know you can't speak to other restaurants, but I guess what I also is coming at is you guys are sort of fortunate. You also have in Copenhagen, the Mad Symposium, for example, I feel like compared to so many other cities around the world, you guys, and you, and you all downplay it. Everybody I talk to in Copenhagen, because it's your way of life. Do you know what I mean? Probably. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's, it's very, it's very foreign to the rest of us. (laughs) Okay. You know what I mean? I mean, mean, I've been indulged in it for over 10 years. So probably, yeah, I I understand that point. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I do have friends who work in sort of other big cities and it's, you know, and they constantly remind me that we are onto something good here. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the mad symposium, do you want to just describe what that is for people? Because you've been a part of that before, right? Absolutely. Um, that is basically a a food organization, which uh, provides talks and information. And this can be anything from scientists to chefs about the, the future of the industry and what needs to change and address sort of certain topics. And 
it, does that influence? I, to me, that's just another channel for you to have an awareness, whereas many restaurants don't have that awareness that you all are doing there. The awareness of equality in the kitchen, of work hours, the very basic things that should be very basic. Like, let's not overwork our staff tremendously every week, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, um, it definitely it definitely creates a forum for conversation. It, and, and that's, you know, that's very important that you know we're we're constantly sort of evaluating how you know how how are we doing as i say and it's it it gives it gives you empowerment to sort of yeah the, the road you're on you know if you can find out and listen to other people's views and um and listen to these forums it's incredible yeah and it and it works for you guys having that balance the balance works with your team and what you've seen in the last 10 years um i mean pre covid yeah Absolutely, we 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 hit it quite, you know, quite well. Of course, there's always some people who come in the kitchen and they want to work all the time and all this sort of stuff, and they sort of they 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 come from another big city like I don't know London or New York, and they sort of they're not used to having the work life balance, and they and they see it as a failure sometimes. You know, they they see it as they're they're not they're not sort of putting everything in their in their career, but they soon get used to it and they soon sort of get used to the way of life here and. Um, and I strongly believe that people sort of, you know, they, they cook better food. They, they really do. If they're not sort of, you know, indulged in it so much and sort of. It is a different mindset to get used to because it's uh, like the art of doing nothing. It, there is an art to doing nothing when we as Americans, at least I can speak for, have been kind of told throughout our life and shown you work five days a week or seven days a week and you're working eight hours a day and this is what you do and you work more if you want to be successful, exactly. you know, so it's hard. It's hard to change your mind. Very much so. And I, and I was and, and I was in exactly the same position when I came to uh, Copenhagen. You know, the, the thought of working three three days, four days a week, you know, was was a real sort of turning point because, you know, you think, oh, well, am I giving up on my career? Or am I sort of not, I'm not fulfilling all my, all my goals. And as I say, you know, you soon sort of, there's so much more to benefit outside the kitchen, whether, whether it's sort of, we, I mean, we, we take regular trips out, as I said, to sort of go and see suppliers and go and see sort of fishermen and, you know, hear their side of the story as well. You mentioned before COVID, you guys were hitting it out of the ballpark. It was working, but post COVID, it's a little different. What do you mean by that? So some of the staff sort of they left. They wanted to go back home. Um, we weren't really expecting the sort of you know the when it when it opened up, we were sort of expecting it to open up at a steady pace. Um, and that's not you know that's not really been the case. I think the, the tourism in Copenhagen has sort of come back. The staff situation is a bit critical, really. You know, we're not really experiencing like chefs traveling so much to come and come and work here. When you said uh, the team wanted to go home, where was home for most people on your team at that point? Um, well, we our team's like a bag of all sorts, really. You know, it can be anything from sort of we've, we've got Mexicans, we had our Argentinians, lots of Italians, French, you know, all, all over Europe, really, and some South America. Wow. Okay. So everyone leaves. COVID happens. You guys reopen in, was it last spring? Yeah, last like spring. Like May? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And what was that like reopening? What was your team like compared to what it was before? What were the customers like? What was your summer like as a business? It was, it was a bit, it was a bit, you know, it was very daunting, you know, it was because you had all this time on your own and you had a lot of time to think. And then suddenly the curtains come up and then it's, you know, whoa, we have to do this again, you know, and, the, and there was people around us and, you know, sort of interested in what we're doing again. You had to talk and put on this show and cook. Um, so it took a, it took a bit of getting used to, but um, I mean, the, the the customers and sorry, the guests were in, incredible. Yeah, everyone came out and they sort of really sort of celebrated the the, the restaurant scene again in Copenhagen. And I think people really sort of because it because it was shut down. I think really you know people sort of knew how how great the, the restaurant scene is in Copenhagen. You know, it's and and they did. They, the locals came out in in sort of mass to celebrate that, and it was and it worked really well. You know, we we were we were obviously a bit scared. You know, of, oh, what's gonna like everyone was like, oh, what's gonna yeah. happen? You know. Yeah. Well, you guys also took it very seriously in Copenhagen. I mean, you took. I, I felt like the city took uh, their time opening up. I mean, it wasn't until was it May twenty twenty one that you guys really reopened to everybody, or. I think so. Yeah, um, I mean, right. I'm not. I'm not too sure about the actual. It was all a bit blurry, you know. It was but like it, work <laughs> compared yeah. to New York, where New York we reopened in June 2020. Okay, you know, yeah. with guests in the restaurant. So I think we all knew what you guys were doing. So I feel like tourists were felt fine to go back, you know, cause you yeah. guys played it so safe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I think that's a big factor. I think that's why we are experiencing a sort of a high level of tourism because it, it did come out of it well and some really great decisions were made and, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and so we, we, we've got nothing to complain about really, you know, some people have had it really sort of. Oh yeah. Horrible. And um, yeah hiring uh people since you hire so many people from around the world where is that at now are people uh looking to come back to copenhagen or still a little unknown it's 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 very 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 slowly starting to pick up you know we we are sort of looking for staff at the minute um and we are experiencing sort of you know it it, it coming back slowly which is really great when people come to work from around the world, is it like a J one visa or what? What is it? What's the process? Well, obviously, obviously um, we, we 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 it's more European, so we we take a lot of Europeans. Um, so it's a very easy process because already yeah 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 exactly okay. yeah exactly. So that, right. that that's great. Well, we're talking about Copenhagen. I want to stay on and talk more about this city. For me, it's a perfectly balanced city. It's not too small. It's not too large. Most people travel by bike. Public transportation is convenient and accessible. I was there in February of 2019. Everyone was embracing winter, which for this New Yorker is so... It was so interesting to witness because usually in New York, people are not outside. We're all inside. But mobile hot tubs or floating in the harbor and bonfires at breweries at an incredible <laughs> meal at your place at Fiska Bar. I mean, the, the, walking into your restaurant and sitting at the bar and it was 
cosmopolitan, yet it was cozy, yet it was vibrant. And we had an incredible meal at Fiskabar. You know, I could go on, but I want to turn to your experience and going back almost a decade now. When you followed a feeling, you were in Australia at the time when you decided to move to Copenhagen. Can you describe the moment when you decided to take a chance and move there? Absolutely. The I think the the first when I first arrived in Copenhagen, um, it, it 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 was still it, the food scene was still still starting, um, and it, and it was something that I hugely wanted to be part of. You know, this sort of sort of like in two thousand ten, the food scene here was it was very up and coming, um, and it was all about at that point. Of, at that point, was it uh, Noma was the the anchor of the restaurant scene or did we have like five or 10 places? Tell us that. Yeah. I mean, you, you had, you, you still had some sort of Noma was obviously, you know, yeah, the, 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 the place that a lot of people were talking about, but you still had some sort of fantastic other restaurants, you know, mostly focusing on French food. It, it, Noma was really setting the waves and it was, and it was this thing, this sort of like this thing of using local ingredients to any cook. It just made absolute perfect sense. You know, as as I say, we 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 talked. You know, we talked briefly. Mentioned the first Noma cookbook, and I remember sort of opening that and seeing that and seeing you know these wild sort of herbs that grow all around us and all this sort of stuff. And it was it was incredible. It's like, oh wow, who who who? It just make as I say, it just makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, things when they don't travel so far, they're obviously going to be better. They're going to be far superior. And that was a wild idea. Back then, yeah, it was like, yeah, exactly. whoa, yeah, yeah, and that, and that was and that was it. You know, now it's looked at as imperfectly normal, but back then it was just like, whoa, incredible. Yeah, it was it was yeah. great. It, it was very exciting. Yeah. So you're reading this book. You're in Australia. You're like, this makes total sense. I'm going to leave this. Some would think. I mean, I love Melbourne. Love great Melbourne, great right? Yeah, yeah. I had a lot. I've got a great. lot of memory. A lot of fond memories from Melbourne. Yeah. You've got the great weather. It's Australia. You know, I'm sure some people are like, you're moving to Scandinavia, Jamie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't the only one, you know? It was it was a a lot of a lot of people saw it as a bit of a calling. You know, for such a small town, Copenhagen had a really sort of a real buzz, despite its small size. And so you move there and you're meeting other chefs immediately. How, how do you find your way? Um, yeah, I mean, there was, yeah, I, absolutely. We, um, it, it, as I say, it wasn't just me. It was, a, it was a lot of, it was people from all over the world and, and who wanted to come to Copenhagen and see what was going on. Again, this sort of local food movement with foraging. And so you arrive with no job or what was that like? Do you arrived just sight on scene. Well, I worked. Uh, I worked for Paul Cunningham in uh, in Tivoli, um, for, for yeah, for just over a year. Got me grounded in Copenhagen, and obviously, I've got a Danish wife as well, which was another big pull. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, that that I was then I was mesmerised by the sort of you know because it was so new as well, and and, it, and it's it, and you felt a, a part of it because we, we were just. We were just everyone was still exploring this, you know, and, and then when you start to get sort of growers and fishermen on board with you, you know, the it, it's very it's a, it was very a powerful movement. 
you're in a good spot right now with the story. Move into what brought you to Fiskabar and what was pulling you into that because that was kind of like this mid-level dining that you could really take on a wild ride of your own, right? Because it d- didn't really exist at that point. Is that right or no? Well, it was it, it, it was one of the first restaurants down uh, the meatpacking district. It, it was a very it was a very sort of still industrial area, you know, with yeah. sort of big. We were surrounded by butcheries and you know, sort of uh, big sort of HGV wagons going through it and all this sort of stuff. Um, so, the, and the, the the thought of doing a fish restaurant down there was very sort of. You know, everyone. I think everyone was a bit skeptical about it. The, the the thing that attracted me to the restaurant was the sort of rawness of it and the sort of the relaxation of of, of the restaurant, um, but still concentrating on high end sort of produce. So feeding high end sort of produce into this sort of re- relaxed atmosphere. I, I was I was I found it incredible, and that's yeah. why I've been there for what nearly ten years. I, and you feel that was a great description because you do, you feel that energy as soon as you walk in. I don't want to dress up when I go out to restaurants. I mean, I mean, you know, back 15 years ago where you had to wear a tie and you have to wear a suit if you're going to go to this restaurant. It's like, no, no, no. You walk into Fiskabar and it's that relaxed, dynamic, yet amazing food. It's just you guys have created something really special there. Yeah, exactly, and it's and and that was it. You know, coming from sort of fine dining Michelin restaurants, that, that it was it was it was a real calling. You know, to sort of wow, you know, people can just people were different. People had different attitude. You know, expectations were dropped when they came in, and we could sort of. Yeah, we could we could take the food to really sort of you know another level and and see people's reactions and all that and it was it was incredible. So once you are in Copenhagen, is it day one, day fifteen during the first year with Paul Cunningham? Do you remember the moment that the city resonated with you that you knew that you could live there and and take take your amazing wife out of the equation? I we we know she is Danish, but. <laughs> regardless of her i know that that is the major reason of course your lovely yeah. wife but resonated with you on your soul even you know if you weren't with your wife when did the city resonate with you that you knew this i, th- I think it was the i think it was the lifestyle that copenhagen offers um it's a very sort of positive and healthy lifestyle especially compared to london you know where i where I come from, you know, in, in Copenhagen, you sort of, you bike everywhere, no matter rain or snow, it, it makes you feel very happy and feel alive. And, and, and there was, there was a lot more focus on the, the family, you know, you, you were spending time with your family outside the kitchen and all this sort of stuff. And that, that was, that was what I, what attracted to me. Yeah. That balance. The, the balance. Yeah. The work-life balance. Yeah. Is it the, what What would you say is the reason that we always hear that Copenhagen is one of the happiest cities on the planet? What is the reason? Yeah, what is that reason? For you, what would you say? I think, I think there's a few. I think, as I say, I think for, for me, it's, 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 it's the fresh air, the constant fresh air that I get, you know, like get on my bike, go to, go to work, f- finish for the day and then bike home. I think it's a great way to live. Um, and you've got obviously good food makes you happy. 
Right. <laughs> we've got we've got so many good great restaurants here. You know that that might help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's the outside, though. It is. I mean, we were there in the depths of winter, in February. And it seemed, I'm sure it's magical in the summer, but the magic was still there in February, which kind of blew my mind. To see floating hot tubs in the harbor and to see people, entire families biking together in the depth of winter. I, I think you, you're you right. The out, we, we under estimate the power of being outside year round absolutely i think i think it does a lot for mental health and all yeah i think it's got massive benefits yeah yeah well let's stay outside and let's dive into a very big issue (laughs) the future of oceans you wrote an op-ed piece earlier this year about the future of the oceans from the standpoint of a seafood chef, your standpoint, and why this system needs to change. In this article, you talked about sustainability being a buzzword in the restaurant industry, your journey and challenges at Fiskabar. For those who haven't read the article, I'm going to open this conversation up to you so you can really break down your general message to our listeners. I really wanted to get across sort of our standpoint on this and, and, and what was it what is our sort of our sustainability you know it's more of a mindset for us and it's a it's a very complex issue um but I, as i say i wanted to sort of get across that it, it can be really challenging to, to to buy sustainable seafood it's important to all of us at fiskerban you know this is not just me it's 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 throughout the team you know it's it's very important as i say it's it's, it's important to all of us um that we that we want to go down this road because it, it takes so much more extra effort, um, constant changing, constant evaluating. Um, so I wrote the I wrote the obit to sort of explore and, and give people a bit of advice on on buying seafood. Why the topic is so important. The fact that if we if we keep buying um, fish that's been trawled, that when the oceans sort of been dug up, that we won't have uh, fish for the future generations. So I, yeah, it, it was a. It, I wrote it to sort of so people would see the difference uh, between trawling and sort of fishing methods that don't harm the marine habitat. There are, of course, the challenges for the average person. Is you're walking. Well, I'll talk to what happens here in the U.S. You walk into any major store, grocery store, and there's every type of fish you can imagine, and it's at your fingertips. Is it and every type there. of fish though? Is it every type of fish, or is it just three? Oh, sorry. Yes, right. you're, you are. You are correct. It is. This, this is a big it is, point. Yeah. It, yes. Okay. It's the ones that majority of people eat and think of. It is salmon. It is yeah. flounder. It yeah. is cod. You know, it is these. It is the three. You know, three or four, and it's shrimp. Oh boy. You know, yeah. it's it's that's it. Um, and that's what the majority of people identify and it's easy and it's right there and there's plenty and I can take it and I can go home tonight and eat it. When you see that and when you hear that, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It's, it's so unsustainable. It's incredible. You know, we are talking about a wild food and it, and it's upsetting as well, you know, the, the, uh, cause as consumers, you know, we have power to change this. We really do. And I think that was what I wanted to get across as well, that, 
you know, and also we, we can't, obviously, yeah, we, we spoke about these three types of fish. Um, we can't keep eating the same species. You, you know, seasonality has got a, it goes hand in hand with sustainability in the, in the ocean. It's exactly the same, but I think it's a bit out of sight, out of mind. You know, we can't really see what's going on. We just see, go to the supermarket and we see these four fish and we sort of, okay, that'll do. You know, it's got 16 labels on it saying it's great and it's sustainable and it's, you know, and I think that was what I wanted to sort of tap into because I, I found it hard as well. You know, being, you know, we, we buy over three tons of fish a year and it, it, there were so many voices. There were so many voices, to, you know, saying this is good. This is not good. You can eat this. You can't eat this. And it, and it was, it's, it, it's a hard challenge. So, so that's interesting because as a place where you are doing nothing but buying massive loads of seafood on an annual basis, you found it challenging. Yeah. You had to go on your own journey to get closer to the fish, meaning find your own fishermen for, and source your own connections. Is this right? Well, that, very much so. And uh, now we have so much more um, companies with sort of ethical missions now, suppliers, basically, with big ethical missions who are really s- supporting, you know, this movement and sort of approaching the direct the, the approaching the, the the fishermen directly and selling to the restaurants directly so they're you know all with low impact these fishermen are fishing with low impact fishing methods um not harming the environment um and they're selling it straight to the restaurants which is incredible because it's it's far superior the the seafood is 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 so much better you know, than if it goes to auction and it's hanging around an auction hall for a couple of days or, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. So, um, it also some, the concept where people see fresh, 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 most fish is frozen and people don't realize that when they're purchasing it, when they're eating at your average sushi restaurant, you know, all they think about, oh, this is the freshest seafood. Oh, it's fresh, fresh, fresh. But many of this is frozen. It, it it doesn't it, it it's so industrialized a lot of the chains that it doesn't really make sense it, it, it it's not doing the product any justice or, or the seafood any justice so i think you know the the advice that i was wanted to give people is maybe sort of yeah reach out to a fishmonger and sort of open up the the, the conversation about sort of you know is it possible to sort of find a way uh, and, a, and, a, and a path to sort of better fresher seafood and and that's what I obviously wrote about as well, that as was sort of using small day fishing boats on, on I mean, we're very fortunate where Copenhagen is obviously on an, a lot of islands. So we're very close to the sea. Um, but yeah, the, the, the path, you know, and, and it's not just me, as I say, it's the whole team at Fiskevan who have sort of set up this infrastructure so we can receive sort of great, um, great seafood, um, literally sort of an hour two hours off the boat um and you you do taste the difference um it just it it the only challenge is really that we're facing is you've got to be very flexible on the floor and in the kitchen because the because they, they catch such small yields mm-hmm. the menu changes maybe what 14 times a night <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, but as I say, it's it's it, everyone has to be behind it. You know, we, 
it, it's not just me. It's very much not just me. It's a, it's 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 a team game, and this is, and it's also our, our suppliers as well, and and the, the the fishermen. So describe that for me. You have a menu that you create. Do you have a standard menu? I'm forgetting the menu that I saw back in February 2019, which is with the pandemic ages ago, like 40 years. Uh, was that menu kind of a set menu and then you guys are verbally changing or do you every night come up with a fresh menu and then well, still because, the verbally be, changes? Because now we are using, we do verbally changes as well, but now we're using QR codes. So it's all on, it's, you know, it's, it's all online. Um, so basically we, we, we change it, you know, like that. So the website gets updated really. But yeah, it, it 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 can be a mammoth task to to keep changing it. But as I say, this is the road we sort of wanted to go down. I couldn't work any other different way now. I don't I don't right. think you know, and it's and it's still challenging because we 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 go on pop ups and we go around the world and we sort of we we want to sort of use sort of better local quality seafood. But you can just go to some places and you can see the infrastructure is not really set up for this. So you you know you you do end up using sort of you know the four types of fish that we talked about. So just from a service standpoint, indulge me because a lot of people listen to this podcast who are in the industry. So give us a a, re, a play down a play of play by play of your service on any given night because when you said fourteen different changes, yeah, I was a bit elaborating, sounds- but it's close. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm just yeah. saying that that challenge, like I'm sure we're all listening, like I I want to know what that's like. Give me a step-by-step of your service if I'm working so, it. So basically we, we, we do sort of fish on the bone, either roasted over the fire or sort of baked in the oven. Um, and we can get sort of, because we can do maybe, I mean, in the summer we can roughly do about two, maybe 200 covers a, a night. So, you know, Yield wise, we'll maybe get in sort of 20 place, 40 turbots, um, you know, eight brill, three John Dory, you know, so it's so to sort of meet the customer's expectations, we, we, you know, we write it on the menu, what the fish is and how much it weighs and all this sort of stuff. Um, And when you're doing that amount of covers, it can get pretty challenging. And you mentioned pop ups around the world. What what is this that you're that you guys are doing at Fiskabar? Well, we, we've taken, you know, we've taken the restaurant on the road a few times. We've been, we've actually been to New York. We've been to Paris um, just to sort of, to, yeah, to showcase, you know, our cooking and obviously our wine program and sort of give a bit of energy, really. And when did you guys start doing this and, and what was the momentum behind it? Why did you want to just spread a certain word about what you guys are doing sustainability wise or I, th- I think we you know it, I think it's, it, it's it's very important to sort of you know to travel and to sort of and when you when you do have these things like mad symposiums and all that sort of stuff you meet people and then it's it's good to sort of go and collaborate with people and to obviously learn what they're doing as well and to see see things that you don't usually see well you are always invited to come out here to the North Fork. We have Absolutely. lots of fish and water, <laughs> yeah. and we're we're a daytime restaurant, so you can have. I I invite you. You can have the restaurant at night. It is that yours. Sounds, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just as just to be around you. This is no cost. Please just come and use it and and spread your word. Yeah, that sounds absolutely great. I think also we. Um, you know, we, we, we go back about the sort of sustainable way and, you know, talking about sort of what other 
sort of um, what are the ways we work. And it's it's very important that, you know, because the price of fish is is rising, it, 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 it seems more sort of important now to use, the, you know, the whole animal to sort of investigate sort of, yeah, the livers, the head, the eyes, all this sort of stuff. And that's one thing we're sort of doing more frequent. Did I read also that you guys were – did you have a fish market at Fiskabar outside of Fiskabar at one point? We we did. We had um um yeah, before the pandemic we we just started to um sell um sustainable caught seafood um from s- small coastal fisheries uh, a shop in Kilboom where we are located, yeah. To sort of so we can give it to the sort of, yeah, the, the the home consumer. Yeah, and hopefully well, it's something that we'll do we'll do again. Um Yeah when we can sort of, yeah, rehabilitate yeah. the staff. Yeah. Yeah. Because on the, I remember, um, we, we went back there, I think maybe three times during our visit during different times, you know, during the day it was completely different vibe over there. And I could totally see a fish market, you know, outdoor fish market. There's plenty of people in there shopping, doing different things, you know, exactly. And, it, and it's, and it's also a way to sort of get, yeah, to bring this, to all the things we've learned from, you know, from setting up the infrastructure in the restaurant, from feeding the restaurant with all these like sustainable seafood, we wanted to sort of yeah get it to the to, into people's homes as well, um, yeah. So they can avoid the sort of yeah the three types of fish that they always eat and and eat more, you know, learn about other seafood and about fish seasonality and all this sort of stuff. So that was the sort of focus on that. Yeah. Well, we're gonna move on to staging. Uh, also known as the Unpaid Kitchen Internship. Uh, For a really long time, it's been a key component to a successful career in fine dining. And only recently, there's been backlash to the idea of working for free. And we're at this in-between moment of staging, still being a resume builder to get you in the door at many fine dining restaurants, yet also free labor, not really embraced like it has been in the past. Uh, No doubt real life experience of any kind gives you tools that you just can't get from the internet or culinary school. Jamie, this is a loaded like three part question. So I'll say it all and then I'll come back with, you know, each point. But where do you currently stand with the practice at your restaurant? Did you stage early in your career? And do you see staging in the food world moving forward or will it be a thing of the past? Regarding our kitchen, we we don't we don't really have stages. What what we do, we work with, um, and we don't really have anyone unpaid in our kitchen. We work with uh, the local catering college, and we we hold a student program because, and that, that and that's one way of tra- training like the next generation of cooks and to hand down knowledge. Did I ever stage? Um, no, I never I never did a stage. Regarding regarding stages, I, th- I think it's I think it's very much up to the employees and the employees to make arrangements that are suitable for both parties, really. And I think it can definitely be a win win situation. But, but I think I think a stage has to be sort of a proper training program. It can't just be sort of free labour. And I and I think if it's set up really well, I think I think it's definitely something that people can benefit from. Where do you see how? You know, for years, it was it was just part of fine dining. And then all of a sudden, in the last maybe three to five years, there's just been a lot of uh, 
articles and conversations about it and is it sustainable and oh is this right is it wrong where do you think all of this came from the recent conversation because it kind of it was what it was for many many years it was part of the industry for many for one generation at least for one or two generations yeah possibly maybe maybe it's not been i don't know if it's not been done lawfully or or uh, i don't know i mean as I say, I think if I think if if the arrangement is set up as a, as a proper sort of training program, maybe in the past it hasn't been, um, then then people can re- really sort of benefit on it. Um, if it's just used for sort of yeah for for free labour, then I, I I don't think it, it's going to benefit a lot of people, especially the stages, I suppose. For people who don't understand, I mean, um, who aren't in the industry, maybe people, some people listening who are just uh, into food, um, this is something that happens all the time. I mean, when we back in February of 2019, we dined at Fat Duck before coming to Copenhagen. And when we were there, our server said, oh, we have someone you're going to Noma next week. Oh, we have two people from here going to Noma and and they're going to be working at Noma for the next two months. You know, this is just this is something like there's a rotation around the world. And it's really important for our industry, you know, for people to get lots of experience and travel the world. Um, and that was back in 2019. It was just kind of a part of our world still. But I don't know. In the past two years, I've just seen and heard. Is it? I mean, how? What's the what's the situation in the in the in the states? Is it is it still illegal? Is it? Is, and is that's it, the thing. In in the states, you yeah, you cannot. You have to no. pay. You okay. know. But in the old world, I mean, in France, where this all started, it was. It was a, a, a non-issue, as I knew. Yeah. yeah, right. It was just yes, you can stay here, you can live here, you can get a a meal, you know, family meal, and you get your experience. Um, and I, do, I do understand that sort of mentality, especially if you know, especially if it's, if it's as I say, if it's been set up like a proper training program, and you can take a lot from it. You can, you can, you can take an awful lot of knowledge yeah so it's got, it's got to be fair fair for both parties that's i think it's that's almost most like internships in any industry i wonder if they're a thing of the past or not you know because it's just there's a reckoning like i was saying post-pandemic with the work-life balance something that you guys have been doing for forever in copenhagen but uh for the rest of the world or definitely for in the u.s it's like no we have to have a work-life balance no you you, it has equality in every industry you have to get paid for the amount of work that you're doing you can't overwork us you know so i think a lot of these stories the restaurants that have come under fire have been we worked 90 hour 100 hour work weeks and you know and we weren't getting paid things like that so it doesn't sound very pretty no. <laughs> <laughs> so I I mean my guess is that I don't think that I think that it's not going to be here in the future in my opinion. I just don't think uh these other generations uh the, the up and coming generations aren't in that mindset. Um and this kind of goes hand in hand when you talk to older chefs who say, "What are you talking about? You know, I worked 90-hour work weeks and I did what I had to do to become whatever and over the last 10 years we've seen a lot of up and coming chefs 
we're taking a generational shift. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of changes happening with that, with that shift, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think so too. And the, it'll be, yeah, of course, you know, it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Well, have there ever been any signs or synchronicities in your life that led to new opportunities for you in this industry, Jamie? Um, I can't say there has been really. So I can't say there has been really certain events, but um, I can say for sure it's maybe meeting meeting great people. Um, I think some of the people I've met during my life have played a big inspiration. Um, and taking me to sort of new opportunities. Give me an example that stands out for you. Most recently, I think it's um, a, a fisherman, um, Faroe Islands, really, who sort of introduced me to sort of his family and, and took me in. And, sh- and we cooked sort of a lot of sort of rare seafood in his back garden. Um, and it was incredible to, to, to hear the passion and the sort of the, his sort of how he thrives to sort of sell his seafood to, to restaurants was, was incredible. Yeah. That was a, that was a great, that was a great one. Yeah. I've got to add the Faroe Islands to my list. Yeah. I constantly keep going on about it, but I I would really go, I would, I would go over there. It's, it's an incredible place. If you, if you love seafood, it's, it's the Mecca. Yeah. It's great. And how are they? Are they overfished or are they all pretty much sustainable compared to many other places? Well, of, of course, they, they you know they, it's the whole sort of islands are based on seafood, but the the, the ones that we do, they're um, they're they're sustainably caught, they're hand dived a lot of the stuff. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, which is a labour of love. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we work with very sort of small scale fishing boats, and that's why it has to be cherished as well. Again, it's uh, it's about maximising the the potential of any animal so using the whole the whole lot really because right. if something's hand dived or sort of hand fished or f- fished in a way that's you know very gentle on the environment it's it's got to be taken care of well jamie thank you for sharing your story with us i always like ending by asking if there's any takeaway that you'd like to leave with listeners that can positively influence their lives it could be something that we just discussed a pro tip or general life advice that you live by? Wow, there's there's so many things here. I, I always, you know, think we should we should all keep learning and growing as people. Um, I think COVID and being in lockdown has made sort of as more hungry about that uh, to obtain more knowledge about everything, really, and also to appreciate and be conscious of you know what we have. I think I think that's been a, a big learning curve to sort of. You know, to, to take time and to look around and to realize how, how really good things are and evaluate uh, and, and evaluate everyone's sort of job roles and how everyone's doing, really. I think that's what we've, um, we, we've, we're focusing on. A lot of gratitude. A lot of gratitude, yeah. A lot of gratitude and trying to, trying to give it out a bit because I think, yeah, I think when you get busy and, you know, <laughs> at work, it's, it's not something that you regularly do. And Jamie, where can people follow you? So uh, that people can follow me on Jamie Lee underscore Fiskerbarn. And please also check out the restaurant. And that's just called Fiskerbarn. And you can catch us both on Instagram. 
and see all the beautiful pictures of our seafood and staff and follow our way of life, really. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, follow Have You Eaten Yet wherever you get your podcasts.